Well, good morning, everybody. This morning's reading is from the book of Philippians, letter to the Philippians, chapter 2, verses 1 to 18. That can be found on page 1180 in the Church Bibles. That's Philippians, chapter 2, verses 1 to 18. So, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or questioning, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labour in vain. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I'm glad and I rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Uh, thank you, Naomi, for reading. Do keep uh, Philippians chapter 2 open in front of you. Um, page 1180 if you've already shut your Bibles. And um, let me pray as we come to look at this passage together. Uh, our loving Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, your word that shows us your grace and peace from you, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we ask that we would be those who bow the knee to Jesus, both in mind and heart. We would be those who are wanting to live in a manner worthy of the gospel. And we ask this for his glory's sake. Amen. Well, what uh, does it look like for the Christian believer to work out your salvation with fear and trembling? 
Um, Did you hear those words of the Apostle Paul from the reading? And did you sit there thinking, what? Uh, The sound of working out sounds utterly horrific. Um, If a friend kindly offers to do a workout with me, my reply is very simple, no. And there's not even a thank you at the end of that message. Uh, Thankfully, the, the Apostle isn't asking us as a church to start up a, uh, a St. John's gym in the vicar's garage, although I'm sure Tom would love that. Instead, Paul is continuing with the theme of obedience. Uh, he's encouraging the church to live as heavenly citizens with a Christ-like, servant-hearted mindset. And it's all for the sake of the gospel in the world and for Paul and the church's joy. And so as we come crashing down from the glory of Christ in verses 4 to 11 from last week, we come to the reason as to why Paul told Christ's story. We come to the application. Hopefully you've got the handout in front of you on the back of Church Family News so you can see where we're going. Verses 12 and 13, work out your salvation because God works in you. That's a verse 12. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Uh, the Christ hymn that we looked at last week it is really the nerve centre of this whole letter. But its purpose is not just to whip up praise for the Lord Jesus. It is to empower obedience. Uh, Paul's application is that the Christian believer, Christ's church, will we get our corporate collective act together as we all work out our salvation? Now, it's really important that we, we highlight what Paul is not saying. Paul doesn't say work for your salvation. And I hope that we know that you and I cannot earn God's rescue. Uh, You and I cannot get ourselves into heaven by working hard and being good. Paul has said already in this letter, it has been done for you. Uh, Chapter 1, he says, of your salvation that comes from God. Um, If you're someone here this morning who isn't sure who Jesus is and what he has done for his people, you have my permission to stop listening right now and to go read the first half of chapter 2 again and see how far down Christ went to then go back up again and see how salvation is a gift as Christ obediently and graciously went to the cross. And as important as making sure that we don't misunderstand what Paul said, it's also important that we don't miss out on the tone. This isn't some army commander yelling at his soldiers, and neither is it my old workshop manager shouting at the mechanics to work harder, better, faster, stronger. No, the tone is much more beautiful, verse 12. Therefore, my beloved... Dearest, loved brothers and sisters, children of God, work out your salvation. 
Now, we've seen across the letter already, if you've been here for the series, there are many ways in which the church in Philippi were already working out their salvation. Chapter 1, they were partners in the gospel with the Apostle Paul. And he, the Apostle, was sure that God, who had begun a good work in them, would bring it to completion at the day of when Jesus returns. When they first believed, they were obedient in Paul's presence. They were going well. But we need to remember that Paul, at this point, is not with them. He's in prison. Death was a very real possibility. And so with his death in sight, they are to carry on working out their salvation in his absence. The church is to work out strenuously living out their faith, uh, not looking to their own interests, but looking to the interests of others. Um, In January 2014, there was a young man named Sam. Um, He wanted to see if he could become a table tennis expert in a year. Uh, He began training every day, uh, going through hundreds of hours of practice, and all this hard work was filmed and compiled together. So you can see on YouTube, you can see Sam working out daily, both physically and mentally and technically. And you see, as you watch the video, you see his progress. Well, here we have the Apostle of Christ saying to the church, as Christ was obedient even to death on a cross, so now, with or without Paul, get on with your saving faith. Obediently live out the Christ life with all of your energy. And do so unlike those who have gone before you. Verse 12, work out your, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. By using fear and trembling, Paul is referring back to God's people in the Old Testament, who in Exodus 20, they saw God on his mountain, and they were left afraid, terrified, trembling. See, Paul is using that as a picture to show God's people that they cannot live out the gospel casually or lightly, as one Wise old preacher said, there is no jacuzzi Christianity. The salvation that they knew and have received from God now means that they are to work out with a sense of holy awe and wonder before God every single day. Now, if Paul suddenly ended it there, that would be really discouraging, right? And how a little old I able to keep working out my faith day after day after day with all of my energy. But wonderfully, Paul doesn't stop there, does he? Verse 12, he carries on to encourage. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work, for his good pleasure. The one true God, Father, Son, and Spirit, actively and powerfully working amongst and in and through all his children. And so they then, and we now, we've not been dropped in the middle of a maze and have to work our own way out. Just as Sam didn't attempt to become a table tennis expert on his own, 
Um, he did it with his friend and our very own table tennis expert, Ben Larkham, to work alongside him, to help him, to train day after day. And so for the believer, dearest child of God, do you know that God is working in you? It doesn't mean that God is doing everything for us. Uh, believers are to work out, but God is supplying that working power. I mean, that's such a course correction for the believer's mindset. True Monday motivation to the church to continue in that obedient, humble service of others. All because of what God is doing in his people, verse 13. God who works in you, both to will and to work, for his good pleasure. Paul has told the church to have the mindset of Christ. And to be perfectly honest, I'm going to need help in that. To change my own sinful and selfish mindset. And too often I am focused on the me and the now. And I need the Lord to change my desires, to change my ambitions, my attitudes. And the Lord works in the minds of his people. Their actions will also follow, so that our behaviour also becomes more Christ-like. So the Lord God works in his children, and he does it for his good pleasure. He works in his children because it pleases him to do so. Jeremiah 32 says, God takes great delight in the work that he does in the lives of his children. Again, if you're a believer here this morning, a beloved brother and sister, do you know that the Lord is working in you? He is changing you all for his pleasure. Uh, maybe you don't see that work in your own life. Uh, obedience feels a long way off. And more often than not, you're just feeling a bit discouraged about the Christian life. Well, I, help, I remember the helpful advice of an Aussie uh, who said that you often don't see the Lord working in your own life. And so the Lord has given us each other. See, we have a church family, and God is working in each and every member of that family. So think of those in your small groups, uh, close Christian friends and family. Take a look around this morning at your church family. Where have you seen someone growing in holiness? Someone who is living out each day in a manner worthy of the gospel? Someone who is working out their salvation day after day as they seek to serve other people with the gospel. And wouldn't that be a great thing to encourage one another in? Uh, giving thanks to God for his work in their life. To be praying and working on our own minds and actions as we work with reverence for who God is. Trusting that he is working in us. And as the church does this, serving others, as Christ has served us, verses 14 to 16, second point, we are to work out your salvation without grumbling as blameless children of God. Work out your salvation without grumbling 
as blameless children of God. Paul said earlier in chapter 2, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. But Paul knew that there was the age-old danger of grumbling against the Lord and against one another. That complaining and division are a threat to the church, working out our salvation. And it would blur the effect of the gospel in the town. Which is why Paul says, verse 14, do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God. Do all things without grumbling, complaining, arguing. Because again, Paul knows that that has been an issue throughout the history of God's people. Uh, Paul looks back to Israel's complaining and grumbling against the Lord and against Moses in the Old Testament. Uh, Listen for the links Paul uses here in Philippians from Deuteronomy 32. Uh, They, that's God's people then, have dealt corruptly with him, that's God. They are no longer his children because they are blemished. They are a crooked and twisted generation. See, those who grumbled and argued in Moses' day were not God's children. Blemished, crooked, twisted. And so Paul says the believer is to keep well away from grumbling. He doesn't want to see his beloved brothers and sisters acting selfishly and arguing the whole time. And that dangerous, well-trodden, grumbling path is still very active today. I saw arguing on the church council in my previous church. I often hear about churches that are divided. And if I'm honest with myself, well then too often I'm weary and discouraged and bitter, and I find it very easy to grumble. Shock horror, if you don't believe me, you can go speak to Gemma, my wife. Uh, Maybe you also have started to feel like you never really get what you wanted in the Christian walk. Maybe you're finding it hard to put other people first before yourself. You've become frustrated with church life. And we've spotted that we've been grumbling against the Lord and against his people. Uh, That sacrificially giving up time and money and possessions, instant happiness has led me to complain in my heart. And maybe we've spotted that we're quick to moan to others about others. Well, it's at this point we need to come back to the gospel, don't we? To remind myself that I have done absolutely nothing to earn this salvation. It is Christ who came down to save And it is a privilege that believers share in the title of child of God. And so for all our complaining and our grumbling, there will be things that all of us need to say sorry to one another and to the Lord for. But again, let us not miss out on the encouragement that Paul says to the church to be who they are, verse 15 that you may be blameless and innocent children of God. 
without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world holding fast to the word of life. See, Paul transforms that original meaning of crooked and twisted before it was describing God's people in the Old Testament, Israel. Now he uses it to describe those outside of the church in Philippi. Simply, he is saying that the church can live out their status as children of God without bickering. It will be good for the town. Verse 15, they shine like stars as they hold fast to the word of life. Again, it is Paul using the Old Testament to shape his application. A shine like stars comes from Daniel chapter 12. Verse 13. Three says, and those who are wise shall shine like brightness in the sky above, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. Uh, one of my favourite things when we take the Engage youth group camping in the summer is to take a few minutes uh, in the evening and to look at those Groombridge countryside skies in the, in, at, the, uh, at night time. Uh, to see shining star upon shining star upon shining star. Uh, It's just majestic. Uh, Lights shining on the backdrop of a dark night sky. Well, that is what the church is, every believer. And as children of God who humbly serve one another, holding fast to the word of life, that is the gospel, the church is to both hold on to God's good news as well as hold it out, offer up that life that Christ provides to those who are in darkness. And by holding out the gospel, we shine like stars. And according to Daniel, he says many will turn to righteousness. And so complaining and grumbling, disputes in the church, will stop the church, it will dim the church from shining bright. And that apocalyptic vision of Daniel 12 is not just kind of this thrown-in illustration from Paul. No, it prompts him to point to the day of Christ, verse 16. Paul looks forward to the day when Christ returns, as that is when he will see the fruits of all his hard work. Verse 16, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labour in vain. So why is it the church should obey Paul's commands to do all things without grumbling, blameless, shining out with the word of life? Uh, Yes, it's for the town so that some may be saved. But it's also for Paul's pride. It's a beautiful image really. Paul longed to see his beloved brothers and sisters with him before the Lord when Jesus returns. And so Paul uses two of his favourite images for ministry, running and labouring, the idea of racing away for the prize, awaiting those who finish, labouring away, working hard in the Lord. See, Paul had gone all in on the good news of Jesus so that others may obtain the prize with him. And he looks forward to seeing the fruits of his hard work on that final day, the day of Christ. He will see that all that hard work was worth it. 
as his beloved brothers and sisters from Philippi stand with Paul before the Lord. Uh, One of the previous leaders on Wolhampton 2 summer camps that I uh, helped run uh, used to say on our training day in the summer that the reason that we do the hard work of running a summer camp, uh, the reason why we run Bible-centred youth ministry is that one day we will be in the new creation and our hope and prayer is that we will be there with many or all of these young people that we serve for that week. And that is Paul's mindset. It is what he longs for the church to have. So much so that Paul rejoices even in suffering. That's the third and final point from verse 17 on. Work out your salvation with gladness and joy, even in suffering. Uh, Verse 17, have a look down. Chapter 2. Even if I'm to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you should also be glad and rejoice with me. Again, Paul is returning to this note about suffering. And by drawing attention back to the Jewish Old Testament sacrificial system, um, Drink offerings were an important part of the sacrificial system. Um, So for just a moment, let's be slightly more immature. Um, Imagine that we've gone back in time, uh, that we're all Old Testament Jews, uh, and that the stage here is actually the place of sacrifice. Um, Simply for the old uh, rock soliders in the room, um, let me make this really immature. Let me me get my, my sacrifice ready. So here we go, here's, here's, here's our sacrifice, our, our lamb. Don't worry, I've not stolen this from my children. Um, and as, as, it, as the lamb was sacrificed and, and put on the fire each and every day, the, the priest would then get a drink offering and would pour it onto the burnt sacrifice. And as he did that, Exodus tells us that it was a pleasing aroma to the Lord. Now that seems very odd to us. Um, I've certainly found it so in the last couple of weeks trying to prepare for this. But what I think Paul is doing with this picture is to show his love for his brothers and sisters as he compares their faithful gospel struggles with his own Uh, The Philippians' present suffering for the sake of the gospel is the burnt offering. It's the main piece of the sacrifice. It is the lamb or the cow, whatever animal it was. And Paul's being poured out is the drink offering. So just as an Englishman pours bountiful amounts of gravy on top of the roast dinner, uh, Paul's suffering and potential death is just a top-up, the drink offering, to the main event. He is magnifying their work and their faith and he is minimising his own. And so as the Old Testament burnt offering, as the aroma pleased the Lord, well now that faithful gospel partnership and service of the church, it now pleases the Lord. 
So even if Paul, a servant of the gospel, were to be poured out in death, he would not grumble. Because as these verses show us, and in fact the letter as a whole, they are saturated with Paul's gospel joy. Verse 17, I am glad. That is the word rejoice. So it really is, I rejoice. And rejoice with you all. Likewise, you should rejoice. And rejoice with me. See how rejoicing is not related to someone's circumstances? Um, Otherwise, Paul would have every reason to grumble and complain. No, instead, Paul, who has set out his reasons for rejoicing in chapter 1, he will continue to encourage the church to rejoice, to rejoice in the Lord. Paul and the church rejoice because of Jesus. And nothing, not, not his chains, not his suffering, can rob him of his joy in Christ. Now, this isn't the British attitude of making the best of a bad situation, and nor is it a call to delight when feeling bad. It is all to do with the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus. And so Paul calls for the church to display that joy even in suffering. Verse 18, rejoice and rejoice and rejoice. And maybe you'd like some more examples of what this joyful servant mindset looks like. Well, there's a little teaser for you to come back next week because Paul gives us two more examples. Uh, But don't forget this morning to look around to see believers filled with joy in the Lord, and not because of circumstance, but because of Jesus, who has made his people children of God, loved, blameless, joyful, holding out the good news of Christ. That is Paul's mindset. In fact, that is Christ's mindset. It is what he longs for the beloved family of God to have. So do we? Are we actively working out our salvation day by day? Thanking and rejoicing in the Lord who works in us for his good pleasure. Serving others without grumbling. Holding on to and holding out the gospel so that the church shines like lights to a crooked world. Let's pray together. Our awesome Heavenly Father, would our love abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that we may approve what is excellent and be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, to the praise and glory of you, our God. Amen.